Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. It's a good thing. Well, good morning again, everyone. This is part four of my message series titled Jesus is Coming. He is coming, and that's an exciting event. I'm trying to get us ready for that. The title of today's message is Deliverance from the Time of Jacob's Trouble. Okay, so Jacob is going to go through some difficulty we're going to see today. But the good news is God is a deliverer. Okay, God is a deliverer. Um, What we've been talking about, if this is your first time here, is a series on Jesus' coming. We talked about uh, the saints being caught up to meet the Lord in the air. We looked at Matthew's account of Jesus returning. Uh, last week specifically, we, it was a hard message. It was a little heavy, I told you. Um, because God, we looked at God's judgment and punishment on wicked and sinful people. And we saw God is a God who takes revenge. He pays back. And we said, can he do that? Yeah, God is perfectly holy. He knows everything, right? He's omniscient. He is perfectly righteous. He can do that, but we can't do that. So God is qualified to judge sinners. Okay, We can't do that. And we said, if we are taking revenge in subtle little ways in our houses, you guys have never done that, right? getting back at somebody, at work, at school. We can't do that, can we? So we need to confess that if we've done that. We also talked about last week, um, I told you that I had a high confidence that those judgments being poured out on the earth, the sun-scorching people, loathsome, foul sores, I wasn't, that's not going to happen to me. I'm not going to a lake of fire. And it's not because I'm so good, it's because Jesus paid the price. He took my punishment upon himself. Guys, that's incredible. So I should be scorched by the sun and be thrown into a lake of fire, but praise Jesus, I'm not. We talked about that last week. So as the church, does God punish the church we're going to look at that a little bit later on this morning. And the other thing, um, you know, I keep, I, I want to keep uh, emphasizing to you is God is in control. He's in control of world events. He's in control of Donald Trump. He's in control of Hillary Clinton. Do you believe that? He raises one up. He puts one down. The Scripture says the heart of the king is in the Lord's hand and he turns it whichever way he wants. Okay, so we need to be praying for our elected leaders, but God is in control. Okay. Also, uh, I love worship and praise and worship today. Appreciate the worship team. All the songs were just about loving God, right? Oh, how we love Him so. I love that because that's what God has for us. That's what He has for Israel. That's what He has for His church. Love. It's about a love relationship. So that's what we came to this morning. We raise our hands and say, Lord, I love you. That's good news. That's great. That's what God wants. 
That makes God happy. All right. Let's get started. Today we are going to look at the Battle of Armageddon. Okay. We're going to see how God is going to come and fight and deliver Israel out of the Battle of Armageddon. Then we're going to look at judgments. Because after everything's over, it's accountability time, right? Okay. So let's take a look at the time of Jacob's trouble and the battle of Armageddon. What is the time of Jacob's trouble? Let's see where it is in Scripture. Jeremiah 36 and 7. 36 and 7. Ask now and see if a male can give birth. That's an interesting analogy. Why do I see every man with his hands on his loins? Does it sound like something good? As a woman in childbirth. And why have all the faces turned pale? Well, alas, for the day is great. I'm talking about the day of the Lord, which we talked about last week. There is none like it, and it is the time of Jacob's trouble or distress, but he will be saved from it. Okay, so there is a time of Jacob's trouble. It coincides with the time of the day of the Lord. Okay? When, when did we say the day of the Lord started last week? Probably after the middle point of that 70 weeks. So after three and a half years um, of that 70-week period, the Antichrist was given authority for three and a half years, the Scripture said, to overcome the saints. That's the time of Jacob's trouble. But he will be delivered from it. Okay, so what is this time of Jacob's trouble? I mean, why is God doing this? Ever asked that question? Well, we actually have some answers in Scripture that are kind of interesting. Uh, Zechariah 13, 8 and 9 give us some clues here. It will come about in all the land, declares the Lord. The two parts of it will be cut off and perish, but the third will be left in it. And I will bring the third part through the fire, refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is my God. What's God doing with Israel? Testing, refining, purging. For what purpose? So that He can be their God. Right? That's what God wants. He wants a people. He wants to be with Israel. He wants to be with His church. He wants to be with His people. So there's going to be this testing. How many make it through the testing? A third. So a third, it looks like there's going to be a remnant. Okay? So two-thirds are cut off. One-third of a remnant are going to make it through this testing period to end up being the people of God. Remember I read uh, Romans 11.25 where Paul said that all Israel will be saved in a day. This third of Israel that's going to make it through the testing, that's the all Israel that's saved in a day. Okay. All right, let's keep going. Let's look at some of the battle details of what's going to happen. Okay, so we know that Israel is going to have to go through this testing. Let's see what it looks like. 
Um, and we're going to go to what's called the Battle of Armageddon. Some of you have heard that, right? Weren't there movies made? Armageddon something, something, I don't know. I probably saw it. But it, there really is a real Armageddon. Okay, Zechariah 14. We're going to the battle. 14, 1 through 5. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided among you. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem for battle. Who's gathering the nations? God. And the city will be captured. What's going to happen when all the nations come against Jerusalem? The city's going to be captured. The houses plundered. The women ravished. Half the city exiled. But the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. Okay, so some are going to make it, some aren't. And we just read that. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when He fights on a day of battle. That's good news. In that day, His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. That's kind of neat. The Scripture says the exact place where Jesus is coming back. He's coming to the Mount of Olives. You remember in the book of Acts, they watched Him go up? They're on the Mount of Olives. And the angel said, Hey, why are you staring into space? In the same way you saw him go up, he's coming back. He's coming back to the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley. So there's going to be a big earthquake. So the half of the mountain will move toward the north and the other half toward the south. And you will flee in the valley of my mountains. So... God, Jesus, Jesus comes back. The armies are gathered. And somehow He's going to bring this earthquake and cause this valley to form. And what's going to happen? It's going to reach to Azel. And yes, you will flee as you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with Him. Okay, is... Israel going to be delivered? Yes. Yes, Jesus comes back. He's going to make a valley. Israel's going to be able to escape. A remnant's going to be saved, preserved. Okay, but there's another account of this battle. And let's look at the account in Revelation 16. This is pretty interesting. This is giving a similar account. Revelation 16, 12 through 16. Okay, now this is the sixth bowl of wrath. You remember last week I gave you guys a handout on all the seal judgments, all the trumpet judgments, all the bowl judgments, right? Okay, this is the sixth bowl of wrath that God pours out. Look at verse 12. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river the Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way would be prepared for the kings from the east. Okay, what's significant about that? If you look in your map, your Bible atlas or the study Bible, the Euphrates River is to the east of Jerusalem. Okay, a couple hundred miles. Now, what about these nations from the east? Um, if you look, on, again, if you look on a world map, China and India 
are the big nations to the east of Jerusalem. And then, of course, there's some smaller nations. Okay, let's keep reading. Verse 13, And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs, for they are the spirits of demons, performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world. Why? To gather them together for the war of the great day of God, the Almighty. Behold, there's a little interjection. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. In other words, be prepared, be alert. Verse 16, And they gathered them together to the place which in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Okay, so that word is Armageddon or Armageddon. It literally means Mount Megiddo, which is 60 miles north of Jerusalem. It's a real mountain. Okay, so the Battle of Armageddon, it's a real place on the map. That's where a real battle is going to be fought. Now, I just read that, we just said that God was gathering the nations against Jerusalem and Zechariah. Here, we see that you got these demon things going out to gather the nations. So which one is it? And the answer is, who's in control? God. So who is doing God's bidding? Demons. See, demons are on a leash, right? So God holds a leash. If God wants to jerk them back, they're jerked back. If God wants to let them out, they're let out. That's God's prerogative. He can do what He wants. He's God. He knows what He's doing. Okay? So do you guys see what's happening? The whole world is going to be gathered. All the armies of the earth are going to be gathered against Jerusalem which is pretty amazing. All right, let's look and see what happens in Revelation 19. A few pages ahead here. 19.11 through 21. All right, it says this. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. We know who this is talking about, right? This is Christ. His eyes were a flame of fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. Now you remember I said a couple messages ago, Who are these armies in heaven following Him? It appears to be us. Okay? Which is pretty cool. From His mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it He may strike down the nations and He will rule them with a rod of iron. And He treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God Almighty. And on His robe and on His thigh He has a name written, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, I don't know if it's a real sword that comes out of his mouth or if that's just a figure of speech for his word because his word is living and active, right? Like a two-edged sword. I think Jesus comes back. He's just going to speak. And he's just going to speak. And whatever he speaks, those armies are going to be annihilated. It's pretty amazing. 
In verse um, 21, I don't, I don't think you have that, but it says, And the rest were killed with the sword which came from the mouth who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with his flesh. Okay, so when Jesus comes back, the second time, it's a little different than the first time, right? The first time he was born in a feeding trough, he rode on a donkey, and he was nailed on a tree. The second time he comes back, it's judgment time. The armies that march against him, they don't have a prayer. They really don't. It's all over. Now, it's interesting. Let's go to chapter 14 in Revelation, verse 19 and 20. Here's another take on it. This is a picture of the end of the age where God is harvesting the wicked from the earth. And he's going to use a word picture. So the angel swung his sickle to the earth and gathered the clusters from the vine of the earth and threw them into the great winepress of the wrath of God. Okay, so who are the grapes? They're the wicked. Right? And they're thrown into God's winepress. You know what they did in a winepress? They got in it and they did this. They just stomped and stomped and stomped, and you got all red and all bloody, right? Verse 20. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood came from the winepress up to the horse's bridles for a distance of 200 miles. Now, I'm not sure exactly what that means. How can blood flow up to horse's bridles for 200 miles? I don't know. But all I know, it's a, it's a massive bloodbath. Would you agree with that? Whatever battle is happening, Jesus is coming back and it's not going to be a pretty sight for His enemies. Okay, let's look at Zechariah's take on this. Zechariah 14, 12 through 15. Okay, so there's going to be a bloodbath. There's going to be a battle in Armageddon. People are going to be destroyed through the sword of His coming. Verse 12, now in Zechariah. Now there will be the plague. This will be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the peoples who have gone to war against Jerusalem. What is it? Their flesh will rot while they stand on their feet and their eyes will rot in their sockets and their tongue will rot in their mouth. That's terrible. This is not some movie, you know, Dawn of the Dead or whatever we go see. It will come about in that day that a great panic from the Lord will fall on them and they will seize one another's hand and the hand of one will be lifted against the hand of another. So what's happening when Jesus comes back? One, there's a plague that kills people. Their flesh literally rots and dissolves. Two, they actually panic and start killing each other. And that's happened in the Old Testament. And then in verse uh, 15, it says, So also like the plague will be the plague on the horse, the mule, the camel, the donkey, the cattle that will be in those camps. So in other words, there's, the plague is going to hit the animals of these armies. Okay, so we have armies. You guys realize how big Jerusalem is? It's a blip. It's nothing. The land mass of, of Israel on the planet is nothing. 
And now you've got the armies of the earth coming against Jerusalem, right? Probably hundreds of millions of people marching against Jerusalem. They don't have a chance. You know, how they could be so deceived to think they could fight against God's people and fight, about, fight against God? Isn't that amazing how deceived people can be? And it's sad. It's really sad. But that's going to happen. That's the battle of Armageddon. That's the last battle. And what does God do? He delivers the Jews. Right? So the Jews have been beaten up, brutalized, persecuted for how many years? Thousands of years, right? Finally, all the promises from the prophets are going to come to pass. Jesus himself is coming down to rescue his chosen people. All the promises he made to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to David. The New Testament promises that he made. God's coming back for his people. And that's going to be a glorious day. And they're going to go somewhere. It's not that he just comes back. He's going to take them somewhere. Right? The kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is coming. Alright, so what's going to happen? I'm just going to give you a brief outline then we're going to look at it in a little more detail. So what happens after Jesus comes back and fights against these armies? The Jews, there's a remnant that are rescued, right? Well, Jesus said that they will inherit a kingdom. Okay, what kingdom? Well, there's a thousand-year reign that is going to come on the earth. So the, those Jews are going to go into that thousand-year reign. The, the Satan is going to be bound and put in a pit. Okay, you won't be able to tempt people. Okay, a kingdom's going to be set up here on earth for a thousand years. And then at the end of the thousand years, Satan's going to be let loose. He's going to go out one more time. I can't believe he didn't learn the lesson from the first time. He's going to go out one more time, gather the armies again against Jerusalem. It's like repeat. And again, he's going to be destroyed. But finally, he's going to be cast into the lake of fire. Okay, so that's just a brief sketch that you need to know before I, I go into this next part here. All right, judgment time. So after Jesus rescues his chosen people, right? It's time to give an account. So let's go to Joel 2 and see how judgment works. Joel 2. Joel 3.2, I'm sorry. Joel 3.2. It says this. Actually, in verse 1 it says, When I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Then I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my inheritance, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations. Okay, Jehoshaphat means... Yahweh judges. Okay, so there's a valley of Jehoshaphat where Yahweh will judge. In verse 14, it says this, Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. So I think the valley of decision is the same as the valley of Jehoshaphat. So people are going to be gathered there for judgment. 
Okay. So we have the Valley of Jehoshaphat. All right, now before I go into all these uh, judgments here, like any good teacher, I have given you another handout. We're going to have a big test in two weeks. So you get to study all these handouts that I've passed out. Do you guys have these? Does anyone not have a handout? Raise your hand. Could, Zita, do you mind if you have some extra ones up here? Pastor? She's going to get some for you. All right, we have a handout here. This is not something I took off the internet. I really had to wrestle and struggle with this thing. <clears throat> the purpose of this handout, it's not to be so much that this is 100% correct. This is the way life really is. Everyone's wrong except me. That's not the purpose of this handout. This is a study sheet. I attempted to compile information to help you study these judgment times. Okay, that's what this is. All right, but before we get into the judgment of Israel, I want to look at the judgment of the church first. Okay, does everyone see now? How did I break this? How did I break this up? Do you guys see there's, uh, what do we have, five rows? Okay, in the first row, it's the judgment of believers. Okay, that's the Corinthian judgment. The second row is the judgment given in Daniel. The third row is a judgment given in Matthew. The fourth judgment in Revelation 24. And a fifth judgment is detailed in Revelation 20.11. So all I'm trying to do is show you that there's a number of judgments given in Scripture that we can study to try to learn something. Okay. So we're going to be doing right now the very first row. And we're going to look at these Scriptures what kind of judgment will we, the church, have? That's what we're looking at. Okay, 2 Corinthians 5.10. It's going to be, it should be up here on the screen. Here's what Paul says. Now, Paul is talking to the Corinthians. Were the Corinthians Christians? Yes. For we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. He's probably talking about we as in all Christians. That would be my educated guess there. So that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Okay, so we, are all gonna, we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Just as surely as you're sitting here, we're going to sit there at His throne and be judged. And what's He going to judge? He's going to repay us and judge us according to our deeds done in the body. Alright, I'm going to explain that in a minute. Go to 1 Corinthians 4.5. Just hang with me. Guys, this is, this is a little complicated. I'm going to try to go slow. So hopefully everyone will understand what I'm saying. 1 Corinthians 4.5. Okay, Paul is talking about judgment here. And Paul basically said, hey, I don't know, I don't know anything, I don't think God has anything against me that I know of, but really I'm not qualified to judge that. Then verse 5, therefore do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness 
and disclose the motives of men's hearts, and then each man's praise will come to him from God. Okay, is he judging Christians here? Yes. What part of Christians, what what aspect is he going to judge? The secret hidden things in our thoughts, our motives, and our hearts, right? Okay, so what we just read in 2 Corinthians 5, we're going to be judged for good works. But then he says, it's not enough to do a good work. You have to have the right motive and heart attitude, right? Now, can we do a good work but be in the flesh doing it? Yeah. You can shovel someone's driveway and you mutter under your breath, you hate it. I mean, it's the last place on earth you want to do and you're just grumbling and complaining the whole time. But you did a good work, right? That's not, a, that's not really a good work. Okay, we're going to be judged for that, for a bad attitude. In other words, if we're in the flesh, that's not going to be good. If it's not a faith, that's not going to be good. Would you agree? So what happens to us? Okay, well, the first thing we need to realize is when we receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, He sends His Holy Spirit to live and dwell in us. We are, pl- we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit who is a seal given to us as a guarantee of the inheritance that is to come, right? Does God snatch His seal away from us? No. That seal guarantees that we're not going to be thrown into the lake of fire, right? You remember in the Old Testament where God told Moses, hey, sprinkle the blood on the doorpost. The angel is coming. Anyone not with blood on the doorpost, I'm killing. They're wicked. We have the blood of Jesus Christ sprinkled in our hearts, don't we? So when we stand in judgment, God's not going to say throw them into the lake of fire. God the Father is going to see the blood of Jesus in our hearts and say, come into the kingdom. Alright, so I got that out of the way. So what, is, what are we going to be judged for then? 1 Corinthians 3.10 need to go back a page here. Paul's going to tell us. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's our salvation. It's guaranteed. We've been forgiven from our sins, we have salvation in Christ. It can't be taken away. That is, the, I mean, Christ is the rock that I stand on, that we stand on. Okay? Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed by fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of of each man's work. If each man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. What's he saying? Okay, I'm standing on a foundation right here, right? This is Christ. I do a good work with the right attitude. Okay, I'm going to get rewarded for that good work. That's cool. Any good work I do with the right attitude, trying to please and glorify God, I'm going to be rewarded for it. 
But let's say I do a work over here. And by the way, those works are, are what's the silver and gold. Because when fire tests them, it refines them and they shine even brighter. But the wood, hay, and stubble are the works that I did with a bad attitude, in the flesh, not pleasing God. Really, I was irritated, irritable. I was cranky. I was whiny. Those works will be burned up. So am I going to be punished for those works? No. But it says we suffer loss. Loss of what? Reward. See, God wants to bless us and reward us. Isn't that amazing? Not only does he save us and Christ is our foundation, then he's like, hey guys, if you do good works in my name, I want to bless you. I want to reward you. But if we do things in the flesh, we just don't get rewarded for it. We don't bring God glory for those works. Is that, you guys see that in the scripture? Okay. And at the very end, just to make sure that we don't lose our salvation, he says, after we suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. Right? Because God doesn't renege on his promise of the Holy Spirit that he sent us. If God saves us, we're saved. Period. Does that make sense? All right, so you see what happens to the church. I see. Can you confess your bad attitude from this morning before you came? I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm just kidding. All right, so the table of judgments. Okay, let's look at the second one, Daniel. I'm not going to read all the scriptures because we don't have time. This is for you guys to study on your own. Okay, in Daniel 7 and Daniel 12, there are some judgments listed. And what is the time of Daniel's judgment? In the text, it says this exactly, after the distress of those days. It's talking about the tribulation. So that's why I said Daniel's judgment occurs after the tribulation. It says this exactly, thrones will be set up and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Okay, so thrones, Ancient of Days. Who was judged? It just says the court was seated, books were open, everyone who was found in the book will be delivered. God has a book. Do you realize that? The book of life. Our names are in the book of life. If you're born again, your name is in the book of life. If you're not born again, your name is not in the book of life. And when you stand before God and your name's not in the book, you're going into a lake of fire. But the good news is you can get your name in the book by receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's a good time for an amen. (laughs) That's right. Okay, who's going to be judged in Daniel's? Uh, I just said the court was seated. Every, the books were open. Result of the judgment, it says in, in Daniel 12, the dead awake to everlasting life or everlasting contempt, meaning punishment. Right? End time judgment. What's the basis of the judgment? Whether your name is written in the book. Sound reasonable? Okay, that's Daniel's judgment. Matthew's judgment. Again, I'm not going to read the account. You guys can read it and study it. But again, Matthew's judgment occurs after the tribulation. How do we know? Because Jesus says, after the tribulation of those days, the Son of Man will come and He will gather the nations before Him in judgment. That's what it says. Alright, so Jesus, it also says that Jesus is going to sit on His throne. So after this battle of Armageddon, after Jesus takes care of this nuisance army, what's He going to do? He's going to gather the nations 
into the valley of Jehoshaphat. And that's where he's going to separate them like sheep are separated from goats. Okay? Now, the question is, when Jesus gathers the nations, who is alive to be gathered? It doesn't say people are raised from the dead to be judged. Other judgments, it does say people are raised from the dead. So I'm making an assumption that the people Jesus is going to judge are already alive at the time he comes. Okay? Because it says he gathers all the nations. So what nations are there to be gathered? Well, Jesus has just destroyed the army that has come against Jerusalem. But the whole world is still populated, right, by wicked people that took the mark of the beast and by righteous people that refused the mark of the beast. Would you agree they're living on the earth? God hasn't wiped everything out yet. Um, So he gathers those people into the valley of decision and he separates them. The wicked people were sent to everlasting fire. The righteous people, he said specifically in Matthew's account, come inherit the kingdom prepared for you. Okay, so the righteous are going to go into a kingdom. They're going to inherit a kingdom. Now, what's the basis of the judgment in Matthew's account? This is interesting. It says in my table, I put according to the deeds done to Jesus' brethren. You remember it says exactly what you have done to the least of these, my brethren, you have done unto me. Well, the context is He's talking about the nations on earth during the tribulation that have abused the Jews. Who are are Jesus' brethren? Israel during the tribulation period, right? So what you've done to them during the tribulation, the hatred you had for my people, the persecution and killing that you did on my people shows that you hated me and you're out of here. Okay, that's one way to read that passage. Okay, it's just interesting. So they go to everlasting punishment. It says that in the account. The righteous ones, they will inherit a kingdom. All right. Now I told you there's a thousand year reign specified in John. That's going to be the kingdom period that they enter into, I believe. Now I'm not going, there's. There's different views on the millennial kingdom. Some people believe uh, that it's more of a figurative type of a reign. Um, I'm not going to go into that. I'm just going to give you what I think the Scripture lines up with. But I would encourage you, study study the millennium kingdom. Look it up for yourself. Get books. Look these things up on the Internet. Okay? I'm just giving you one, one way it could be. All right, so... Let's look at Revelation 24. There's an interesting judgment here. I want to read to you Revelation 24. Okay, remember, Jesus is judged. He's got righteous people with Him. He just sent a a group of goats to everlasting destruction. Revelation 20. I'm going to read 1 through 5. I don't know if you have that or not, but I'm going to read that. Uh, 20. Here we go. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss 
and the great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who was the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Okay? It's quite a chain to bound him. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. Don't ask me why. I have no idea. (laughs) I really don't. Verse 4. Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the Word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Okay, where is the time period of this? Well, he's seeing people raised that were martyred during the tribulation. So this is right after the tribulation period happens, right? Right after Jesus comes back and judges. Okay. You guys with me? <clears throat> now he says, I saw thrones, plural, and they sat on them. Who are they that sat on the throne? That's interesting. I mean, Jesus has his throne, right? But see, there's other thrones. Okay, this is... This is uh, my sanctified speculation or theory. Go to Luke uh, twenty-two thirty. Do we have that up there? Luke twenty-two thirty. Okay, Jesus is talking to the apostles. I'm going to read twenty-eight and twenty-nine first. And Jesus says this: "You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and just as my Father has granted me a kingdom." I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and you will sit on thrones, plural, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Who's going to sit on thrones? The apostles. Were the apostles in the church age? Yeah. The apostles are the bride, the church, right? Okay, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, I don't think it's up there, He said, you will judge. He said, the saints will judge the world. That's what he said. He said, we would judge angels, but he also specifically said that we would judge the world. 1 Corinthians 6, I believe it's 2. Okay, so the question is, when are the apostles going to judge and sit on thrones? Does it start in this thousand-year period? Or does it start when the new heavens and the new earth come and finally the heavenly realm, so to speak, is entered. I don't know for sure. But I have a, I, I, my, my gut tells me that going into this thousand-year reign, these twelve apostles are going to be sitting on these thrones judging during this thousand-year reign. Okay. <clears throat> we won't know. I also think, so the question is, who's going into the thousand-year period? That's the question. So we have the righteous that Jesus judged, right, in the Valley of Decision, those righteous, because he said specifically, come, receive the, the kingdom that is, is, you're inheriting. So they're going in. We also have possibly the 12 apostles going into the Millennial Kingdom. If the apostles go in, maybe the church is there also. 
I'm really not sure. So the church could be there, but what about the rest of the dead, the wicked people from all of history? They're not there because it says in 25, so the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. Okay, so there's a group of people that stay in the grave until the thousand years is complete. Next week, I'm going to talk to you in detail about this millennial kingdom. I'm not giving you details, a whole lot of details about it right now. But we're, I'm sorry, not next week, two weeks, because we're going to do Father's Day next week. Okay, last one. Revelation 20:11 through 15. This is at the end of the thousand years, the devil was released. He goes, he gathers all the armies against Jerusalem. Fire comes down from heaven. And finally, this beast is thrown into the lake of fire. That's good news. Verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, how? According to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Guys, I can't wait for that moment. You know how excited we get over a stupid Super Bowl? I mean, death and Hades are going to be thrown into the lake of fire. All this pain, all this misery is going to be swallowed up. All the sting is history. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So you guys see there's different judgments. You know, I I list these observations. Is Daniel's judgment the same as the judgment of Christians, which occurs at the same time as the great white throne judgment? I'm not really sure. There's some similarities there. You guys can study it and see what you think. Observation number two. Christian's judgment, our judgment, is a judgment of reward. I'm not going to the lake of fire, and you don't have to either. And if you have never received Christ as your Savior, you need to do it because He loves you, and He wants to pour the fullness of His love into your heart and mind and soul. Observation three. Regardless of how you break these judgments down, they're happening, they're coming. They are coming. And what does Paul say in Romans? Get ready. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, for as it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God, so then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. And honestly, that sobers me up. That really does help me to live a righteous, holy life. Because when Jesus Christ comes back, Can you imagine if Christ came back and you're arguing with your spouse? Can you picture that? That's terrible. Or you're fighting with your sister and Jesus comes back, the trumpet sounds, and you're fighting with your sister or your brother or your roommate or your co-worker? How terrible would that be? 
But we don't have to do that, do we? Because we have the Holy Spirit to help us overcome all things. So how can we conclude? Well, you know, really, it's just being thankful. Look what God has spared us from. All the... You guys heard what I read. That's coming. All these judgments, all these bowls, all this wickedness and sin punished. God has spared us. Now when you read in Thessalonians where it says God has spared us from the wrath to come, it's like, okay, God, I think I know what you're talking about. I get it. I'm so thankful that you spared me from wrath. I'm so thankful that you've forgiven me for my sins. I'm so thankful for Jesus Christ. God, help me to live a holy life. Lord, I want to love my wife. I want to love my children. Lord, I want to be a blessing to people, my neighbors, my coworkers in school, because God, I don't want any of them to be thrown into a lake of fire. Do you want your coworkers to be thrown into a lake of fire? Do you want your unsaved relatives to be thrown into a lake of fire? No. So what do we what do we need to do? Well, it's, I'm, I'm sure you're already praying for them, right? We pray. We beg God. We cry out. Now's now's the time for intercession. Guys, this is a season of grace. If if you don't see a difference between that last seven years and the age we're in now, you're missing something big. Okay? God's not scorching people right now to disobey Him with the sun. (laughs) That's not happening. We have have this, this grace to show people we can love people and show them what, what does it really mean to love somebody unconditionally? What does it really mean to serve somebody and not want anything back? Isn't that, isn't that what we have? Isn't that the Spirit of Jesus? Isn't that how He loved us unconditionally? And that's what He wants us to do. So if you go out to eat today, you need to look at your waiters and waitresses and say, God, do you want me to say anything? And if you do, give a big tip. Okay, Give 20% or more if, if you... Start witnessing to a waiter or a waitress. God is in control. He loves us. He's going to bring it to pass. In two weeks, we're going to finish up in the millennial kingdom. And that's going to take us right up to the final heavenly realm. And maybe on that day, maybe Jesus will come back. I don't know. <laughs> no. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.